0: Welcome to today's edition of their RevOps Squared video blog. Taking a different approach today, and I just feel so honored that I have the SaaS CFO, Ben Murray, on the video today. Hey, Ben.
1: Hi. Hi, Ray. Thanks for having me.
0: Oh, so, so honored that you're willing to join us today to talk about my number one passion in business, and that is key performance indicators for B2B SaaS companies. And Ben, why don't allow you to introduce yourself to the audience and the work you've been doing as the SaaS CFO?
1: Sure. Yeah, sounds good. Yep, I've been a SaaS CFO for the past eight years, so practice everything that I put on my blog. I've been authoring my blog for the past four plus years. You know, starting with a post on how to forecast headcount, uh, and it's kind of just scaled from there. So really, love sharing my knowledge, my templates, so other other folks can can benefit from those, and that's become pretty popular. You know. I love everything about SaaS financial operations, SaaS metrics. So I, I love, talking, uh, love talking SaaS.
0: Great. Well, thank you for joining us. And for those of you who don't know me, my name is Ray Reich. I'm the founder and CEO of RevOps Squared. And RevOps Squared is a publisher of the B2B SaaS performance index. It really allows SaaS CEOs and CFOs to understand how their operational effectiveness and efficiency measures up to their like peer groups. And as one of the things that we found as we were working with hundreds and hundreds of SaaS companies was everyone measures their company KPIs, key performance indicators, differently. So we found a need to help standardize how B2B SaaS companies measure their performance beyond some of the traditional enterprise value metrics, such as the rule of 40, cap ratio, gross dollar net dollar retention. So we've published our KPI framework. And in the KPI framework, we identified what we believe are the most important first five KPIs. And, Ben, I know you've had a chance to review that. We talked a little bit about that. But for the audience, those first five KPIs that we always ask our customers to really drill down on are Rule 40. It's the combination of their growth rate plus their free cash flow as a percentage of revenue. Some people use EBITDA as a um, proxy for that. Number two, cap ratio, which really measures the efficiency of how they're investing their marketing, sales, and customer success dollars for new name customer acquisition ARR and expansion ARR. Of course, gross dollar retention and net dollar retention looks at the value their customers are getting from their product as measured by the retention and growth of buying more of their product. The fourth is the customer lifetime value to cap ratio which really looks at the gross margin efficiency and customer retention efficiency over the life of the customer, and then gross margin. We call gross margin the the hidden multiplier because it really generates the free cash flow. And even if you stop investing in marketing sales to get new customers, that free cash flow can last six, seven, eight years. So Ben, what's your perspective on the most important KPIs, kind of the first five KPIs that you believe SaaS companies should be capturing, measuring, and using to make decisions?
1: Yeah, I'd say definitely those are great uh, five metrics to to measure for sure. You know, and, and honestly, it really depends on your stage of business. You know, if you're a startup and just figuring out product market fit, your go-to-market strategy, it's probably more sales analysis, go-to-market strategies, you know, lead flow. Uh, you know, for example, like rule of 40, that's something I use a lot. But I think that's something that would be more, you know, say growth and scale mode, you know, maybe not startup mode that you're looking at rule of 40. I mean, of course, all of these should be, uh, you should have some awareness of these, but some of them kick in at certain points. And as you scale and you get bigger, then obviously all of these should be measured. Uh, but they're all good fundamental SAS metrics, you know, that I believe, you know, should be measured at some point in time. You know, I'm a big fan of the CAC ratio. And of course, you know, with the, your SaaS metrics journey, you know, it, it's kind of baby steps. You know, you have to start at the beginning, you know, good financials, good accounting, you know, really understanding your recurring revenue, gross margins. So fundamental financial management, you know, which lets you then uh, roll into, you know, measuring, you know, these five KPIs, these five SaaS metrics. So again, they're all great. I measure all of them, you know, but they do kick in at certain points in time for sure.
0: Yeah, totally agree with that. Um, I've had several CEOs of sub 1 million ARR SaaS companies call, say, I'd really like to understand more about where I compare to the industry benchmarks for CAC ratio. First question I ask is, well, let's talk a little bit about where you are from a product market fit perspective. How many customers do you have? How much are they paying? how repeatable have you found the customer acquisition process very quickly. You realize I'm a big fan of the traction gap that Bruce Cleveland wrote. He goes, he talks about going from minimal viable product to minimal viable repeatability and then minimal viable traction. Mm-hmm. If you're not at a point where you think you have a good idea of what your ICP is your ideal customer profile and some level of customer acquisition repeatability, yeah, some of these ratios just aren't as important. You'll do anything to get your first five to 10 customers, right? But to get the next hundred, you want to do it a little bit more efficiently.
1: Yeah, exactly. I, I talked to a lot of SaaS founders and some are pre-revenue or just starting with revenue and they want to work on their forecast, the three, say a three to five year forecast uh, for investors. And they, they want to calculate you know every SaaS metric. And of course you can do that in a forecast, but a lot of those you're really not going to manage your business yet with those metrics. Like, you know, your CAC payback is just a guess at year two year three because you only have 10,000 of MRR right now, you know, or your pre revenue and you want to calculate the full suite of metrics, you know, and, and maybe investors require that, want to see that, that you put that thought into it. Uh, But really, again, at that point of business, if you're less than a million ARR, you know, some metrics aren't as relevant. You know, I'd be thinking about more go to market strategy, product market fit, you know, your pipeline analysis, lead analysis, and as you start getting enough data, you know where those metrics would make more, more sense, you know then you can start looking at calculating those you know if you have enough data, a big enough sample set that you'd actually get value out of those metrics. Uh, but for some, you know like gross retention, net retention. Those are things, you know, you really should be tracking from the beginning because you should see how your product is performing and if you need to adjust. You know, so some definitely, you know, are right at the beginning. Others kick in later in the, in the process.
0: Well, one of the things you mentioned, Ben, was CAC ratio. And that is, you know, having been a operator that ran go-to-market functions for over 25 years as a leader, including marketing, sales. And it was professional services and then account management, customer success. Customer acquisition cost ratio was my favorite scaling um, metric. What do you think about CAC ratio? Why is it important from your perspective? When do people really start using that to make investment decisions of accelerating sales and marketing? And how how should they really use
1: it? Yeah. You know, again, I think this becomes more, yeah, like you said, in that scale mode where you're growing, you have product market fit, and now you're looking at, you know, how much should you invest in sales and marketing? So I think this kind of, you know, it's always hard to say, you know, at this AR level or this AR level, but I think as you start to put for you what you consider pretty material or or serious dollars in your sales and marketing engine, your go-to-market engine, then it's probably time to look at the CAC ratio. You know, I like this. I mean, I do love this metric because it is just intuitively easy to understand You, as you have bookings coming in. You know, if you think in bookings terms or if you look at, you know, if you think of MRR coming in, you know, if you're more low uh, price point, high volume, but comparing your sales and marketing expense to your bookings or your MRR coming in is just an easy way to look at that balance, right? Because it's trade-offs. You know, and even if you're still early, you eventually you do have to get to efficient sales and marketing. You know, efficient bookings acquisition. Uh, You know, so this is one that I I use a lot. And uh, again, it's it's pretty easy to measure, and you know, really tells you if you're on the right direction to efficient acquisition and efficient payback.
0: It's funny that you say that, Ben, because I find the CAC ratio is one of the most misunderstood, even miscalculated. Let me tell you what I mean by that. So about 50 to 55% of companies that we've worked with only capture one cap ratio. Now, when you're at a million AR, five million AR, it's primarily new name customer acquisitions, one cap ratio makes sense. But what we really, I guess, preach and evangelize is you should have three cap ratios. Of course, you should measure the efficiency of your new name customer acquisition. But you also, as you start looking at expansion, whether that's cross sells or upsells, if you have a business model that enables that, you really need to look at your expansion cap ratio, and that includes what customer success percentage of costs is being applied to identifying, nurturing, and/or closing upsells and cross sells And then there's the blended cap ratio. The other thing that I find a lot of organizations do is like customer success, as an example, if they use them as their primary expansion organization, they throw 100% of customer success costs into an operating expense for cap ratio. But when you peel back the onion, you're finding women, they're actually serving right now as the customer service and customer support organization, which says maybe you put that into your cost of goods sold. No. So do you see a lot of those kind of I'll say nuances not well understood by at least the earlier stage companies out there.
1: Yeah, definitely. That's an important nuance, especially with customer success. And I've mentioned that in my post that I feel that if, if your customer success team is purely focused on the health of the customer and their satisfaction and they're not selling, that should be in your COGS and your gross margin. But if they have any sort of quota assignment or responsibility to push deal flow, then you really have to think about them being in your CAC and your cost of acquisition. So like a, a typical sales and marketing expense, you know, so that's definitely, there's a little asterisk with CSM on their role. And then I think, yeah, it's important as you advance in your maturity with SaaS metrics, right? It's easy to look at your blended CAC ratio, right? All your bookings coming in and your sales and marketing expense. But then, like you said, it's also important then to understand the new customer CAC and the expansion CAC because those could be very two different things. You could be really good at expansion CAC, you know, but poor at new customer You know, so that's kind of that next step of maturity in SaaS metrics of just your blended CAC ratio and then segmenting uh, new versus existing.
0: Now, the other thing that I found to be really important, once again, this goes from my operating days, was you say, well, of your sales and marketing expense, 70% should be sales and 30% be remarketing. Or maybe it's 66-34, but 70-30 is pretty much the benchmark. And I'm like, well, if you don't know the efficiency of every dollar you invest in marketing, every dollar you invest in sales development or every dollar you invest in sales, how do you know really where to invest? So one of the things we recommend is the departmental CAC ratio, where for every dollar we invest in marketing for new customer acquisition, how much do they directly drive, kind of attributed um, new business that they directly generated versus non-attributed CAC ratio for marketing? Same in sales development. What do you think about those departmental CAC ratios directly driving the company-level cap
1: ratio? Yeah, I mean, I think that's definitely getting, you know, pretty advanced, you know, but I think it's good to then, say for me, look at sales and marketing separately and those functions, you know, who's responsible for generating leads, right? Is that marketing? Is it also sales? You know, if it's just marketing, you know, looking at pipeline creation, you know, what targets do they have to generate leads to generate pipeline? You know, so it's got to be quantified in the past, probably that wasn't quantified, but that's becoming even more critical now, you know, that there's, you know, a goal within marketing, you know, that, you know, the spend there, you know, also it's not just all blended together, sales and marketing, but each one has their own objectives to kind of think also now down at that level of, of what, how are they they contributing to your closed one deals?
0: Yeah, and that's one of the things. And this is a whole nother topic around how do department heads share kind of enterprise value creation KPIs. Like in my business, I've always said sales and marketing, and if customer success is responsible for expansion AR, they should all own the revenue number. And at the end of the day, that's their guideline versus marketing says, well, I have a leads number. Well, if your leads convert very poorly, that's not going to drive revenue. What do you think about that sharing that revenue growth number ahead of each department
1: yeah i mean obviously we all have to be aligned you know that you know sales and marketing and the company in general knows those targets that we're going after if you think of it in a, a booking sense or or the monthly mr that you need to bring in you know and each department's contribution to that you know whether it's leads or i'm i'm the guy doing the demos or i'm the guy closing the deal right you know i think obviously there has to be common alignment and then your piece of the puzzle to that. You know, is it to generate leads? Is it to generate sales accepted leads, et cetera? You know, that that's well-defined.
0: Two other questions on calculation and then we'll move on, Ben. Number one, time period. Time period of the expense versus time period of the revenue. What is your recommendation to SaaS CFOs and CEOs as far as what time period should be included in this calculation?
1: Yeah, I definitely tell everyone that I like to align it to my average sales cycle length. You know, so if you have an average three-month sales cycle, I'm going to measure a three-month period. You know, if you're a mid-market enterprise and you have 12-month, 18-month, two-year sales cycles, that you're measuring it over that period. Otherwise, it just becomes too lumpy, you know, and it's more representative based on that time period. And even, right, if you're enterprise and you think about marketing, right, that lead that you're closing now could have been generated two years ago. So you can even lag your marketing expenses to say, hey, your CAC ratio, your CAC today of the customers you're closing, you know, maybe you're using marketing expenses from a year ago and your sales expenses from this year. You know, so there are a lot of different ways you can do it, but at a base level, it's really, I think, aligning your average sales cycle to that period you're measuring for bookings and expense.
0: So an example, we found in our benchmarking, the average B2B sales cycle is about 90, 200 days. So let's just say it's 90 days. So you would take the new ARR from this quarter and then compare that to the sales and marketing expense from last quarter.
1: Yeah. So say in that, if you're a 90 day sales cycle, I'm probably going to more look Yeah, the bookings over the last three months, your sales over the last three months and you know, and then marketing is up to you. Your marketing could be that same last three months or maybe, you know, you'd have to look at that lead to close lag. You know, if it's more appropriate, maybe it was, it was a quarter ago marketing expense that you want to pull into that. You know, but at its, at its just the easiest, most intuitive level, 90-day sales cycle is pretty short. You know, that then I'm looking at the trailing 90 days to make that calculation.
0: Last question. Some people ask, Ray, should we apply gross margin to our cap ratio, not to CLTV to cap? What is your opinion on gross margin impact on the cap ratio calculation?
1: Yeah, definitely. I use gross margin when I'm looking at payback periods, you know, so applying the gross margin to that revenue that you're bringing in. CAC ratio, I'm still thinking, you know, I think more mid-market enterprise, you know, of, of, you know, the bookings we're bringing in and just that cost, you know, but when it then evolves into LTV, into payback periods, definitely it should be gross margin affected to have more accurate calculations.
0: Totally aligned on that. Let's go on to the next question. And that is, you know, a lot of founders, you know, beyond the, I'm trying to change the world, I'm trying to transform an industry, but trying to create shareholder value, especially when they bring in outside money, right? So what do you think the KPIs are, well, let's use companies at $20 million and above, that are most predictive of increasing enterprise value?
1: Yeah, and you know everybody has an opinion about this, but I think yeah, if you're 20 million air and above, you're scaling, you're growing, you're buying companies. You know, obviously what you mentioned before, the rule of 40 is a very popular one to to assess the attractiveness of your business. And again, you know, if you're high growth, right, rule of 40, it's okay to have lower margins. I use EBITDA for that margin calculation. Or if you're in a low growth mode, you should be spitting off a lot of cash flow you know, which is also very attractive, getting really good EBIT evaluations then. You know, so rule of 40 is a popular one, a good one to measure internally. And then of course it comes to, you know, the health of your recurring revenue. So your retention, your churn, do you have best in class retention that's gonna be really attractive to investors or if you're exiting, Uh, you know, because right in SaaS, it's all about the health of our recurring revenue. And then also, you, you know, around the go-to-market strategy, your efficiency there, do you have good fit? You know, is it easy to land customers uh, to continue to fuel that growth? You know, so those are the, the ones that are top to mind. Obviously, you know, again, there are tons of them. Gross margin is really important to make sure your gross margin is locked in at a really good rate. I consider like 80% and above good for overall gross mar- great gross margin, up to 90% for recurring revenue margins. You know, so looking at that, I think that's another checkpoint. Uh, and then, of course, you know, your EBITDA margins. Are you throwing off a lot of cash flow to get a really good EBITDA valuation? Uh, you know, as well as something looking at lately is operating leverage. You know, so say you have great gross profit. You know, how much of that gross profit can you keep and drop to EBITDA? You know, so for every dollar of increase of gross profit, you know, for example, when I analyze HubSpot's financials, they can save, they can keep about 25 cents of that to the bottom line to their EBITDA margin. You know, so that becomes very important as you're in that scale and growth mode, you know, that, uh, that you're dropping as much as you can down to EBITDA.
0: Yeah, it's interesting you say that. I spend a lot of time looking at both the Bessemer Cloud 100 kind of index. Also, Software Equity Group does a really good job of this. And this was pre-COVID, but the last one I looked at was March, quarter ending uh, March of 2020. And those publicly traded SaaS slash cloud companies that had met and exceeded the Rule 40 had about a 60 to 70 percent premium on their valuation, where companies, SaaS companies under the Rule 40 had about a 6X um, earnings value multiple. And those over Rule 40 had about... an. 11 to 13x multiple. It was incredible, Ben.
1: Yep. Yep. You're definitely rewarded for that, that, you know, financial efficiency that you've, you've, you've worked so hard for within your company.
0: Well, let's move on to the next question. And that is, and we talked a little bit about this earlier. It really depends on this stage, but at what stage of company maturity do you say KPIs go from being really helpful and nice to have to table stakes, it's a business imperative.
1: Yeah, I think, you know, again, it's hard to put an AR level on that, but I think, you know, usually in that earlier stage, you know, usually when I talk to SaaS founders, you know, if you're a couple million of ARR, you know, that's when it's time to start to get serious about your accounting maturity, to make sure you have the right accounting in place, you're producing accurate financial statements, the rev rec is correct, uh, et cetera. You know, it doesn't mean you're p- producing a full suite of metrics, but you're putting the foundation in place so that you can proactively financially manage your business and you have the necessary information to manage your business. So usually I like to say a couple million of ARR or so. And if you're scaling beyond that, that's the time to think about your finance and accounting infrastructure. And then, you know, but definitely 10 to 15, 20 million ARR. You know, you should probably have the full suite of SaaS metrics as you scale, because it's less about now, you know, was, does do I product market fit, go to market fit, and now it's growth, scaling, you know, potentially buying companies that then you do, you know, like your five KPIs that they definitely should be on your financial dashboard and that you're measuring, you know, so there are definitely little pivot points of, you know, the right finance and accounting infrastructure in place so that you're, you're you have a good foundation for the future.
0: Yeah, and that foundation, Ben, is so important. And what we tell our our customers is start the culture as soon as possible. You may at product market fit, you may be measuring some different things because you're not looking at profitability. You might even be looking at ICPs. I talked to 100 VPs of marketing in retail, and I talked to 100 VPs of marketing in restaurant industry we have much much higher conversion in a restaurant industry. So even those type of KPI, types of KPI send a message to your entire organization that we're gonna be data-driven, metrics-informed. And as you start getting real operating leverage, which again, minimal viable repeatability, the other thing we say is it really doesn't matter if you are or not uh, capturing metrics at the CFO level. If you're operating teams, KPIs aren't being captured and directly impact those company level KPIs. We think the culture that you build early on has to be data-driven and metrics informed.
1: Yeah, definitely, I, you know, I, it wasn't my quote, but I've seen, I saw it somewhere that SaaS is math, right? There's so much math, so much data within SaaS, you know, that you have to, you know, determine those metrics that are relevant to you and not just measuring, just to measure but which metrics you know, that you feel are important for your business in that year. And it's gonna change from year to year as you grow, and as you encounter different market conditions. You know? So it's important to understand why you're measuring and how, why you're trying to drive that metric in a certain direction.
0: Totally agree. Okay, we'll move on to the next one. Now this is a you know, personal opinion, but when you think about that B2B SaaS metric or key performance indicator, that's most misunderstood or maybe most underused you
1: have one that you'd say uh you know i think yeah, yeah the ones that you know a lot of them have just little nuances you know that they're you know if it, if it's your first time coming into sas or calculating these for the first time uh you know oftentimes it's it's like you mentioned before the time period i think that's a big one what time period am i measuring you know is one of them also certain metrics are bookings based versus revenue based? You know, should I be using bookings and executed contract or should I be using my revrect revenue? You know, so I think those throw people off as well as, you know, say with the CAC ratio or any CAC payback or CAC, you know, it's your fully burdened expenses, right? It's not just wages. uh, It's not just commissions, but it's everything. It's travel, training, uh, sales awards, etc. you know, digital ads, you know, that it's fully burdened expenses going into these, you know, so that's why it's so important to have a SaaS P&L. Uh, and, you know, as well as, you know, to produce good output and good metrics, right? Again, it starts with the fundamental accounting, a good SaaS P&L, you know, common things that I see that lead to misleading metrics is they're not doing any sort of rev So if you invoice quarterly, semi-annual, annual, you know, you have to have proper revenue recognition or your p l really doesn't mean anything it's more of a cash p l you know so it's getting setting up those good uh, the accounting structure uh, you know so you have those inputs to put into these metrics
0: interesting point because I find that the integrity of your financials really does kind of cascade to the kPIs who do you think Ben and the organization should be responsible for Auditing and ensuring that the key performance indicators are calculated correctly is that the CFO's job? Is it each department who owns a particular KPI? What's your opinion, especially for the the big company value drivers?
1: Yeah, I think a lot of those are going to fall on the CFO. You know, because they're producing the financial statements, they usually have all the inputs to to create these metrics. Uh, but again, you know, if if they're say utilization metrics for your professional services organization, they should own those. But again. I I need to understand how they're calculating the data inputs. If they change the calculation, what are the assumptions, right? Because if then we're delivering this to our board or to our owners, right, we have to make sure the calculations are sound. You know, so really the CEO needs to understand, you know, where the metrics are coming from, kind of at a high level, how they're calculated. But I think a lot falls to the CFO to make sure the data is correct, the calculations are correct.
0: Yeah, totally agree. One of the, it's interesting, when I wrote this question for our conversation, I tried to say, how would I answer it? And mm-hmm. I could limit it to one. So I had two, so I'm gonna share those with you. One is, it goes back to the CAC ratio, right? It's what expenses are we actually allocating to the new name customer um, CAC ratio versus expansion or blended? But the other thing is, what is a, a goal that I should have for my CAC ratio? Now, last year in our, Our benchmark research, we found blended CAC ratio was around $1.20. So for every dollar of new ARR and expansion ARR, companies invest around $1.20.
1: And
0: in my last operating role, I kind of got challenged, well, Ray, your CAC ratio for new name is 1.5. That seems high. So I called a good friend of mine, Byron Dieter at Bessemer. I said, Byron, you know, here it is, 2018 what are you recommending as the CAC ratio for new name customer acquisition? Should it be one, two? Is it okay if it gets up to one, four and one, five? And he goes, there's no law around this, but if I've got a 20, 30, $40 million SaaS company and they're growing at 50, 60, 70% of a year, and their new name customer CAC ratio was one, six, I'm like, I'm okay with that. Let's keep investing. In fact, I'll, be open to up to two for CAC ratio if we're growing at those 60-80% CAC ratios. So one of the challenges I see with both operators and also boards is they try to use a one-size-fits-all. And I think some of the other variables as far as growth rate, what type of solution ACV you have, should be relevant to what CAC ratios you have. The second thing, in the second KPI that I really thought was critical was Customer lifetime value to CAC ratio. Number one, it's misunderstood because uh, often, I saw about 20 to 25% of the time, they're not using a gross margin adjusted customer lifetime value to CAC ratio. But if you've got great both uh, retention and expansion, if you've got five applications that you're selling, you typically enter with one or two, and you're seeing 30, 40, 50% of your total average revenue per account coming from expansion, if you've got a five X or seven X CLTV to cap, I might even be more aggressive on my investment in sales and marketing. What do you think of the CLTV to cap ratio is a really misunderstood and maybe underutilized ratio?
1: Yeah, definitely. Because there are definitely different ways to calculate it. Uh, you know, at a most basic level, you're just dividing by churn, you know, but again, I like the gross margin affected LTV, uh, you know, but it, with the, the LTV, right, it can become, it's so sensitive to the denominator in your churn, just making sure you have a good proxy for churn there, you know, because if that's jumping around, your LTV is all over the place and then it's, it, it becomes more difficult to use, you know. So again, especially if you're signing, you know, maybe you only sign one contract every other month because you're going after these million dollar contracts, you know, where the data set is so small that your LTV can jump around and thus your LTV to CAC. You know, I think it's definitely a good one to measure, you know, especially for those lower price point, high volume, just to balance LTV to CAC to see how much you can spend to acquire those customers, that balance between the two is really important. So it's one that, you know, whether you're SMB focused, enterprise focused, you know, should be in your monthly reporting package, but making sure, again, you understand those inputs and if it's fluctuating up and down because you go after big deals and those big deals fluctuate so much each month. You know, that's where then you know I like to go back, rely on the CAC ratio and CAC payback period as well. You know, so really one thing I like to say, you know, SAS metrics in isolation oftentimes don't mean much, right? Just like LTV on its own doesn't mean much because a one K LTV for someone could be great, for others, it could be horrible. You know, so it's all relative to the others. So it's always good. I think like the LTV to CAC. Or these other metrics, you know, CAC ratio, and then looking at your CAC payback period. So you really have to take that holistic view.
0: Ben, that's really insightful because people like to measure a lot of the things on a a monthly basis or even quarterly basis. But for so many customers that I work with, they have their enterprise focus and they have their mid market focus. To your point, that um, getting one new million dollar ACV when your average ACV is like 100,000 can dramatically increase it, and vice versa. Mm-hmm. If you have a big churn, that can really kill your CLTV. So I think it's really important. The other thing we tell everyone, if you're going after more than one segment of the market, all your KPIs should also be looking at segment efficiency. So look yep. how efficient you are at CAC or CLTV for the enterprise market versus mid-market or SMB.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, definitely.
0: Well, let me move to um, something that, probably what we're the most passionate about here at RevOps Square because we are creating the B2B SaaS Performance Benchmarking Index. How important do you think benchmarking your KPIs as a company is to like peer groups? Is it something that you think is really important at this stage or it's nice to have? What's your opinion on benchmarks?
1: Yeah, again, I think it depends on your stage of business. If you're early stage startup, couple million ARR, maybe not too relevant yet. But definitely, you know, in that growth and scale mode, it's always interesting to compare your financial profile versus others, you know, because there are benchmarks out there, you know, and that becomes very important depending on your stage of business. Say you're, you're a PE owned company, you know, what kind of financial profile do you want to get to at exit or what would be that triggering point where you would be deemed attractive, have good margins, good profile. You know, and to do that, you know, really you do need to look at benchmarks to see how you compare. And those give you, you know, it's not the, not everything, but it's definitely something that should be considered. You know, for example, me, I, as a CFO, sit in the GNA expense, you know, and what should GNA be as percent of total revenue, you know? am I efficient right now or is it getting better over time? For example, when I looked at HubSpot's financials, right in the beginning as they scaled, it was really inefficient as a percent of revenue. But then when they went public and each year thereafter, that slowly took down each year as they scaled, developed operating leverage and were efficient. So it is, it's not the be all end all, but it is definitely important later in business that you have benchmarks you know, to understand you know, how you're trending versus other businesses.
0: Yeah, one of the conversations we often have with our clients is um, we do believe benchmarks are really important as you try to get to scale. and You're really scaling the company, but don't be misled. I cannot tell you how many times I've been in board meetings and someone said, well, your gross retention isn't where it needs to be. I'm like, based upon what comparables. Because if you have a thousand dollar ACV in the SMB market, you might be able to tolerate a 25 to 30% annual churn. And that might be in the 75th percentile versus if you're at 100k ACV, and you've got a 30% churn, you're in big trouble. So the one thing I tell everyone is really understand the benchmarks you're being compared to. And as much as you can, try to compare yourself to like company groups as far as um, stage of evolution, i.e. how big you are what your ACV is. And we believe you should even look at what's your distribution channel. Like if you're a primarily field sales organization versus a bottoms up self service kind of premier or trial business, you really want to compare yourself to your light company. Purpose.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's important, right? Because it can't just be one blanket benchmark, you know, because it's so different. Like you said, I think ARR size is big, a big one to consider, you know, your go-to-market model. You know, are you going after the bigger customers and outbound approach? Are you going after SMB and have an inbound go-to-market engine? You know, definitely different financial profiles, different SaaS metrics, Uh, you know, and again, like you said, distribution channels as well. You know, so those do have to be considered, you know, because you can't really, if you're B2B going after SMB, you can't compare yourself to someone, uh, the, the B2B profile of an enterprise business. Right. So,
0: Ben, that's really was the, um, all the questions we have for you today. Is there anything you want to leave our audience with?
1: Yeah, definitely. I'd say, you know, the the path to financial transparency takes time, you know, so don't get frustrated if you go and try to calculate these five KPIs right now, you know it's a process right like i said starting with the good you know good fundamentals in accounting revrec sas pnl good financial statements you know then measuring your gross margins you know looking at your sales and marketing expense compared to your bookings the cac ratio you know and evolve that package it takes time with everything it doesn't happen overnight you know so just take those steps and you will get to, you know, get to that point where you feel like you have now the metrics, the forward-looking visibility to manage your business.
0: Ben, thank you so much. Now for the RevOps Squared video blog audience, one of the things I'd highly recommend is you visit the sascfo.com. A couple of great things I found on the slide Beyond the blogs where Ben provides his insight, he's been doing this for years, um, he has a lot of calculators. And these calculators are very helpful, especially to maybe that first time SaaS CFO, or even that founder, CEO, who's never been responsible for financials and metrics. Your calculators are so helpful. So audience, the SaaS CFO, look at the calculators, highly recommended. Ben, thank you so much for your time today.
1: Thanks, Ray. Thanks for having me.